It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. And I have to say that uh, we are going on, I don't know, 90-something episodes of these things. And um, I'm going to go ahead and say this is the most special episode that we have done to date. Because joining us on today's episode is the one, the only, Grandmama Larry Johnson, uh, as we are celebrating, my daughter's very excited in the background, as we're celebrating the 20th anniversary of his four-point play against the Pacers uh, this week. He was kind enough to join me. We're going to get to that interview in a few minutes, but um, before we do, I, you know, I did for the newsletter this week, I kind of collected uh, everybody's uh, memories, or a lot of people's memories, from that game, from that night, of that shot. And I put him in all together and just, it's, it's unreal how 20 years later, um, a shot that it didn't even result, you know, in a championship, um, or, you know, quite frankly, anything close to a championship because they, you know, they lost against the Spurs in five games. And I I don't know that I would call that, um, a series that anybody ever really thought that they were going to win. But I think that that just speaks to how much different things are in New York um, with the Knicks when you do something special. And like we're in the midst of every day getting up and kind of theorizing about who might come this July and whether they want to try to be the person to, you know, or people to save the Knicks. And I think the great unknown with all of that is do these guys value the idea of having a moment like that? Do they value the fact that you could have great moments in other cities and for other teams, but nothing is quite the same as having a moment like that, you know, in Madison Square Garden, wearing a Knicks uniform, which is something I actually asked Larry Johnson about, and I I won't spoil the answer for you, but it it was a good one. Um, You know, and as far as LJ goes... (laughs) Whenever I think of LJ, I, you know, I have a few memories. Obviously, the shot stands out. Um, I was, you know, I was just kind of growing up um, as a sports fan around that time, the early to mid-90s. Um, 90, I would say like 91, 92 was the first year I had like any exposure to basketball. 92, 93, I kind of started to follow it. And then 93, 94 is when I really became a fan. So like I was like right in that prime you know, age group of um, latching on to Larry Johnson as this kind of like larger than life figure. And I remember um, because I was just the biggest nerd um, you'd ever want to meet. I was away at summer camp that was like a school summer camp. It wasn't a summer camp where you went and did fun shit. You went and like learned that I got into in like, like by taking a test in grammar school. Like I was... There weren't many losers uh, bigger than me, um, and I say past tense uh, generously. Um, so I was away at this camp where I was learning about God knows what for two weeks, and my parents came and picked me up, 
And um, the first thing my uh, my stepdad actually said when he got out of the car is the Knicks traded for Larry Johnson. And I was like, holy shit, we got LJ. Um, and, you know, this was obviously – we there was no, like, internet or whatever internet there was. Like, I, I didn't have access to it. I don't even think we had access to TV the whole time we were there. So I was like, we just won the championship. We are, you know, we're adding Larry Johnson to Patrick Ewing and like the rest, like a core that I always thought, you know, it was, even then I knew it was like we were one kind of star away from, from being really able to do it. And of course, you know, by the, when Larry got here, he was kind of, had moved on to that next phase of his career where he was you know, more of a complimentary player. Um, but I, you know, even thinking back, I always felt like he tapped into the guy that was, you know, that made an All-NBA second team, that made two All-Star teams, that, you know, was a two-time All-American at, at uh, UNLV. That was still in there. And, you know, everybody obviously remembers the shot, but I think it gets lost that Larry Johnson had 26 points in that game. And I don't think it was an accident that he had 26 points the game after uh, Patrick Ewing goes down, um, you know, what was what ended up being for the rest of the playoffs. Because I think he just knew, he's, you know, he knew that he needed to step up and was like, all right, I got to pull it out. Um, and it was just, it was just one of those moments. And I know... You know, everybody thinking back on that moment still kind of gets chills. Um, you know, even the first question I asked Larry was about, you know, is, is he sick of doing all this press? And, and uh, suffice it to say, he, he is not. He, he still enjoys um, enjoys talking about it, thinking about it. Um, so, uh, hey, instead of me uh, saying all the things that Larry said, why don't I just actually play the freaking interview for you. So, uh, without further ado, uh, Larry Johnson. Ten seconds to go. Ward with a pass tip, but handled by Johnson. Johnson is three-point territory, but got it tightly. Johnson cuts left, now fires a three. And he's good! And he's fouled! It counts! And he is fouled! Larry Johnson looking for the lead. The free throw is good! A four-point play! By Larry Johnson, and the Knicks have defeated the Pacers in dramatic fashion. Jonathan. Larry, thanks so much for joining me, man. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you? No problem. <laughs> That's great. Um, listen, man, I can't thank you enough for taking the time today. I know you've been on uh, a bit of a press tour, it feels like, these last uh, <laughs> these last couple of days. Are you, are you getting sick and tired of, of talking about the shot yet, or are you still excited about it? Absolutely not, bro. I'm got like, 20 years anniversary. I couldn't wait for it to come around. That's awesome. You know, I think for a lot of reasons that that 99 team um, really holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts. You know, even, you know, the 94 team made it to the finals. Obviously, they were great. But there's something about that 99 team that, I don't know, it seems to stand out for people. Do you do you feel the same way all these years later? Well, my my answer is definitely going to be yes because I wasn't on the 94 team. But I have <laughs> some uh yeah, I wasn't on that team, but I have some I have some theories why I would say that is, you know, the 50 it was a shortened season number one. Uh that was the 50th game the 50 50 game season when we made it to the finals in 99. Yep. 
and and also it was you know Spreewell coming in with what happened with him and Golden State, uh, Marcus Cammy being traded for one of the most beloved Knicks. So it was a lot of lot of turmoil, a lot of things around that team that going on around that team. You know, we had a lot of characters, a lot of characters. You had me, you had, and then and then you know you had Patrick like on his way out. And the may hurt, may not be hurt. I just think that, and then we we went into the playoffs as a number eight seed. You know, so number eight seed making it all the way to the finals. It was just a little different atmosphere than '94. And you've and you've talked about how, despite the fact that you were an eight seed, you guys knew how talented that you were, um, you know, even though you hadn't had a great season. Was there ever a moment towards the end there, with, you know, maybe around when you won six of eight to get in, where there was either like a, a, someone talked up in the locker room or a meeting or something where you're like, hey, guys, listen, if we just get in, um, we could really do some damage or, or did it just kind of happen that way? No, no, that was talked about. I think, like you said, the last ten games of the season or twelve games of the season, we had to go ten and two or something like we we barely had we you know we had to hustle those last twelve games, and that was the focus. The last month of the season when we had to really dig down to get in at eight, everybody like man we and and you know you said we knew we wasn't uh, number AC. Everybody, Indiana, Miami, all those guys knew. They knew that we hadn't jailed yet, and they knew that we would be a, a headache if they count us in the in 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 the finals or in the playoffs. So, uh, yeah, exactly. So it was a time. Jeff, Jeff, really, you know, you, you know, you you only as good as your top as your top, you know, your general. And Jeff started maybe a month again when we was out of the playoff month a month before the season. We wasn't even we wasn't even eight seed, and that's when Jeff started pushing us that man, if we make it to the playoffs, none of these guys is better have more talent than we do. So I'm, I'm happy you said that because um, to me, I remember even as a fan feeling like all they have to do is get in. No, none of these teams are, are better than them. That being said, I remember that last week of the season, one of the games you uh, you did lose, or actually the last two weeks, I guess, was to Indiana. You went down there and you lost by 23 points. Despite that, did you guys feel heading into the conference finals that, listen, you know, we're better than this team. We just, you know, just give us a shot. Yes, we definitely felt that, but we also knew how good they were. Um, um, when they called us that, like you said, that week or whatever before the season, um, we was we was making that push, but we wasn't we wasn't there yet. I think uh, Patrick was still ailing, and we was just really trying to get. And that game really didn't hurt us as getting in. You know, we could have won that game, we could have lost that game. We just had to take care of business after that. But we knew the the, the talent those guys had, but we knew the talent we had too. I think that loss kind of helped us because we didn't play the way we played. Them was trying to play big. And by the time we made them in the playoffs, we was going small ball. Even the four point play was like a a small ball play. So, and I, it's funny, I heard you talking about this with uh, Anthony earlier in the week about how, you know, you were really a stretch four um, before the time where, where that was a thing that was done. But it seemed like you almost reserved that for, you know, it's like a, a break uh, glass of in case of emergency thing because you guys were still starting two traditional bigs all the way up until game four of that Indiana series. Was it, did you guys know that, putting you at the four kind of gave you that extra advantage? Absolutely. I mean, it, it would, you know, we would start. I think Jeff Jeff had his, you know, he had a system. So we definitely, we would start myself at the four, and then we would probably start uh, Patrick or even, you know, a five. And throughout the game, he just put combinations together and just saw what works, you know, so – and, and and if you look go if you look not just that series the whole 
playoffs, I played, and I would like to know how many minutes I played at the three and how many minutes I played at the four. I think I was at the three most most of the whole playoffs because it was, it was beneficial to have me and, like, Kurt, when we played against Miami, you want to have at least two bigs on the floor to deal with Alonzo. Sure. So, you had, yeah, so, you of course, you have the the the, uh, the two Georgetown guys, and then he would play Kurt and play me. So, if it ever was a switch, I could switch out and play uh, – uh, I could switch out and play – play Lonzo and also Kirk can play Alonzo. So yeah, I would like to see how much time I spent at the three. I think I spent more time at the three than whole playoff. I, I think just barely you might have. Um so uh let's talk about the shot real quick. I know you've talked about this for years and, and recounted it so many different ways. The thing I'm curious about is you've said that you ran back because you were like, oh I gotta get back on defense. Um did you like? But you heard the whistle. Did it just not register to you that there was a foul shot, or was just like so much happening in the moment? What was going through your mind as that ball went up and and in? No, you know what? I I heard the whistle. I heard the whistle. But when it went in, I just kind of lost it. I mean, people <laughs> talk about. I, yeah, I heard people say that. I put my hands up trying to tell uh, Chris Childs, "Don't touch me! Don't touch me!" But. Right when Chris got to me, Chris was Chris was the one that calmed me down. Chris was really – I was just talking about this with Alan Hahn, and I, I was telling Alan that I really can't say what Chris was saying, but Chris was cursing me out. You Look, yeah, Chris was like, yeah, Chris was like, oh, what you doing? You got to freak. Just calm down. You know, that's what Chris was saying, but I didn't – by that time, I threw my hands up and knew I had to freak, though, but I kind of lost it. I, I, I heard the whistle. But so I didn't know, like you said, I may have said I was going back on defense, but I knew it was a whistle, and I just kind of lost it. I really did. And it was Chris Childs being a point guard that calmed me down. Well, uh, and thank God he did, and and you you sunk the free throw, no problem. Um, I have a trivia question for you. That you finished with twenty six in that game. That's the second most you ever had in a playoff game. Um, do you remember the the one game where you had more points than that in the playoffs? Well, this is with New York, right? So 26 was the most with New York. You had one playoff game. I kind of gave it away. It was with Charlotte where you had more more playoff points in a game. Do you remember which one? Against the Knicks, maybe? It, it was against the Knicks, exactly, in 1993 in Game 3. You had 31. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> well, um, when I was traded to the Knicks, uh, Dave Checkett was here along with Ernie Grunfeld. And Ernie and Dave would always say to me, man, we had to get you here because you killed us every time we saw your shot. <laughs> As, as Ernie and Dave, they would tell me that. Uh, two more quick ones before I let you go. Uh, first one, if Ewing plays in that finals against San Antonio, you think the result's any different? Listen, that's tough. You know, these are the hypos, and once you done got beat beat up by San Antonio and lost, you just hate to look back on that. But, of course, you know, this is one of the top 50 players. Even if he'd have been a little, you know, if he wasn't if he wasn't 100, if he if we'd have had Patrick at 80, that give us a leeway to mess with those twin towers. You know, you can do some more combinations. And I don't know if we'd have beat them, but we'd have definitely won more than one game. If Patrick would have played, we could have took it to two games, three games. You never know what happened. Um, last one. You, mm-hmm. you know, you had just an amazing career. And, and that career included some big moments in the Garden um, as a visiting player, I just you know brought up the '93 playoff series. What's what's different? Because you've talked about how meaningful it was to hit that shot in the Garden. What's different about hitting a shot like that in the Garden as a Nick, as opposed to you know just as a visiting player? Because as a Nick, um, I grew up in Dallas, Texas, and when I was coming up, and this is 1980s. I'm telling my age now. Football <laughs> is the Texas. Texas is a football state. 
And, and football is king. The Cowboys is king. At three years old, you get a whole Cowboys uniform in, in Texas, girl and, girl and guys. So I was, it was a big, I was a big football guy and all that, but I knew the mecca of basketball was always New York, MSG. I was like, man. And then once I started playing high school basketball in Texas, you know, you know, it wasn't like the form. You know, the Lakers was doing their thing while you were in Texas. And the Lakers, I let the form, the Lakers, but it was always the mecca of basketball to us in Dallas, Texas, was always MSG. And here I am, traded to New York, making a four-point play in the mecca of basketball in front of guys like Spike Lee and, 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 and plenty of stars on the bench or on the front row. That's what, that's what you live for. That's well, what you live for. I just said in, a, in an interview upstairs that the Drake factor in Toronto, that helps. <laughs> That's hell. Drake is this big old mega mega musician, uh, platinum, double platinum, or whatever. Them youngsters love, and then you know the hip hop era. Them youngsters know who he is. They love playing against him. The other team love talking and drawing with him. You know that helps. That helps Toronto. So to play in front of the MSG crowd and that front row, it helps. Well, they might have Drake, but uh, Larry Johnson played for the New York Knicks, and, and listen. Um, you're a two-time All-American national champion, two-time All-Star. You made an All-NBA team. Um, I think I'm, I'm proud to say I think a lot of people in the world will always, you know, remember that shot. Um, so I, I really I can't thank you enough for giving us a couple minutes for coming on and talking about it. It's something that is still so meaningful to you know so many Nick fans all these years later. Man, I appreciate you, man. Thank you for that love. Absolutely. 